inventor was making preparations to leave his laboratory in New York City. The year was 1899. For 13 years, he had awed the world with his mastery of the mysterious forces of electricity. Once again, he was designing a device that would change the world. First, he would test his invention in the seclusion of the Colorado mountains. His experimental station was designed specifically for research into wireless technology. The entire venture was funded with a $100,000 investment from the real estate mogul, John Jacob Astor. With the grand vision, the 43-year-old inventor set out for Colorado Springs. Before leaving New York, he told reporters that he would transmit signals from Pikes Peak to Paris. With my wireless telegraph oscillator, I could talk to the inhabitants of the planet Mars and will talk to the people of Earth at any distance away without the assistance of wires. It was a bold claim. In Colorado, he experimented with coils capable of producing millions of volts of electricity. This power was used to illuminate wireless electric lamps. His equipment was so powerful that a surge from one of his machines caused a blackout in Colorado Springs. Late one night at the station, his receiving equipment picked up a distinct sound in rapid succession, like three dots of a Morse code message. At first, he assumed that the sound was related to the distant thunderstorms he was monitoring. But static picked up from lightning is not so uniform. Maybe, he thought, maybe it was a signal from another station. But there was no station in the world powerful enough to send a signal as far out as Colorado. He had another idea. Returning to New York, he told reporters that he had intercepted a transmission from the planet Mars. It was news the world over. What he did not tell reporters was that his experiments in Colorado were evidence for an even greater discovery. One that would either revolutionize humanity's very existence or doom his career forever. Nikola Tesla was going to bring wireless electricity to the world. I'm Corey Curian, and this is Luminaries. Never in the field of human conflict was so much over by so many. So I have a dream. The new world is here now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. America needs a tidal wave of the old-time religion. Where there is discord, may we bring harmony. Where there is error, may we bring truth. Where there is doubt, may we bring faith. And where there is despair, may we bring hope. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nikola Tesla was born in 1856 in the rural community of Smiljan on the western border of Croatia. His father, Malutin Tesla, was a priest in the Serbian Orthodox Church. Malutin was a prolific reader and an accomplished mathematician, traits that he passed on to his children. Nikola's mother, Dejuka, although illiterate, was able to memorize the Serbian epics and entire passages of the Bible simply by having them read to her. 
Dajuka also had a knack for invention and designed many household appliances and kitchen tools. This knack was passed on to her son Tesla, who even as a young boy was a prolific inventor. As Nikola matured, so did his experiments, and by age 10, he had started working with motors, turbines, batteries, and most importantly, electricity. In 1875, Tesla started college at the Polytechnic School in Graz, where he studied engineering. In his sophomore year, a direct current Gram dynamo was demonstrated in a physics lecture. The Gram dynamo required a device called a commutator in order for it to function. Electricity in its natural state produces an alternating current. This means that its flow continually changes directions. Imagine a river that changes its direction of flow from north to south. Now imagine that this happens many times per second. It would be impossible to harness the current for any useful purpose. This was the problem with electricity. In order to overcome this obstacle, a rotating wire brush called a commutator was introduced that channeled an electrical current into a single direction from a generator to a motor. Commutators, however, were cumbersome and created dangerous sparks. After watching the Graham Dynamo, Tesla voiced his opinion that the commutator was unnecessary and that he believed the natural current could indeed be harnessed. His professor was not amused by the idea and gave a detailed explanation of why it was impossible. Tesla, however, was unfazed by this rebuff. He would spend the next four years working to prove his professor wrong. In his junior year, Tesla became frustrated by his inability to harness the alternating current. He began to gamble heavily and once lost his entire semester's allowance, including his tuition money. His destructive habits left him unprepared at exam time and he flunked out of school. Fearing the disappointment of his parents, Nikola disappeared without a word. His father finally found him hiding 40 miles south of Graz in the neighboring city of Marabor. Malutin implored Nikola to return home, have a fresh start at the University of Prague. Nikola agreed, but after one semester, dropped out. In 1881, he moved to Budapest to work for a new American telephone exchange company that was soon to open. In his free time, Tesla continued to search for a solution to the alternating current problem. The solution suddenly came to him one day while walking in the park. By constructing two circuits out of phase to each other by 90 degrees, Tesla was able to utilize dual currents to spin a receiving magnet or motor and attract a steady stream of electrons. His design came to be known as the rotating magnetic field. Tesla emphasized that it was not a refinement of other inventions, but rather an entirely new way of harnessing electrical currents. With his basic design worked out, Tesla was able to develop numerous modifications in apparatus in less than two months. Soon after, Tesla was offered employment at the new Edison Lighting Company in Paris. At the Continental Edison Company, Tesla traveled throughout Europe installing incandescent lighting as well as designing improved versions of generating dynamos and motors. He grew disillusioned with the company after being denied bonuses he believed he had earned. Heeding the advice of Charles Batchelor, one of Thomas Edison's closest business partners, 
Tesla decided to immigrate to the United States. Almost immediately, he was hired at the Edison Machine Works in New York City, troubleshooting electric utility installations and improving generators as he had in Paris. At the time, Edison Electric was losing contracts in cities that wanted arc light street lamps because they were not compatible with the company's low-voltage incandescent system. The young inventor was tasked with developing an arc lamp that would solve this problem. He swiftly designed a compatible solution, but it was never put into production. After only six months, Tesla suddenly quit. In his autobiography, he stated that the manager offered a $50,000 bonus for anyone who could design 24 different types of standard machines. When Tesla approached his manager with these designs, he was informed that the bonus had been a practical joke. The manager, however, gladly accepted the designs. A note in Tesla's diary was scrawled across two pages covering December 7, 1884 to January 4, 1885. It reads, Goodbye to the Edison Machine Works. In March of 1885, Tesla met with famed patent attorney Lemuel Sorrell to obtain help with submitting patents for an arc lighting system, likely the same system he had designed at Edison Electric. Sorrell introduced Tesla to Robert Lane and Benjamin Vale, who agreed to finance the inventor's company, Tesla Electric Light and Manufacturing. Lane and Vale showed little interest in Tesla's ideas for AC motors and transmission equipment, and only wanted to exploit the production and operation of the arc light system. The company obtained patents that included an improved DC generator and won the bid to install the improved arc lighting system in Rahway, New Jersey. After the utility was completed in 1886, Tesla's investors decided that the manufacturing side of the business was too competitive and opted to simply run an electric utility. They formed a new company and abandoned Tesla, leaving the inventor penniless and patentless. In order to make ends meet, Tesla worked various electrical repair jobs and for a short time was even forced to work as a ditch digger for a meager $2 per day. Tesla would later recount that during that time, my high education in various branches of science, mechanics, and literature seemed to me like a mockery. Finally, in the spring of 1886, Tesla met Alfred S. Brown and Charles F. Peck. Together, they formed the Tesla Electric Company. By 1887, a laboratory was set up for Tesla at 89 Liberty Street in Manhattan. There he began developing new types of electric motors, generators, and other devices. His work culminated in the development of an induction motor that utilized an alternating current generated by the rotating magnetic field that he had designed in Europe. This simple self-starting motor was revolutionary in that it did not need the expensive commutator required by those powered by direct current. Tesla demonstrated his revolutionary design at the American Institute of Electrical Engineers in 1888. In attendance were a number of engineers employed by the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company. After seeing Tesla's motor, the engineers reported that they had found the missing piece to the AC system Westinghouse was already marketing. Westinghouse approached the Tesla Electric Company about purchasing or licensing the patents. A deal was struck providing Tesla and company with $60,000 in cash and Westinghouse stock 
and a royalty of $2.50 per AC horsepower produced by each motor. Westinghouse also hired Tesla for the enormous fee of $2,000 a month, $639,600 annually adjusted for inflation. For the next year, Tesla worked in Pittsburgh as consultant at the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company. Tesla returned to New York in 1889 and moved into a new laboratory on Bleecker Street. With his patents yielding royalties and his more than substantial salary from Westinghouse, he was now free to pursue any research he desired. His investigations now spread into a number of separate but interrelated fields. The uniting factor was electricity and the desire to free humanity from physical labor. This new research culminated in two of his most profound inventions, the Tesla coil and the wireless transference of electricity. In May of 1891, he presented his work at a symposium of the American Institute of Electrical Engineers. Nervously, Tesla ascended the podium. But as his audience fell under his sway, the inventor grew confident. Unveiling his Tesla coil for the first time, he awed the symposium with his fantastic displays of electrical power. Onlookers were terrified and spellbound as Tesla inundated himself with tens of thousands of volts of electricity and, as if by sorcery, released the energy in great sparks from his fingertips. After the symposium, rumors spread about the powerful inventions of this new electric sorcerer. Soon. Tesla was receiving invitations from scientific societies all across Europe and America. The next February, he repeated his presentation at the Royal Society in London. For a full two hours, he held his audience entranced as he displayed his mastery over the forces of electricity. This time, he unveiled a number of new inventions, including a working radio tube and a laser beam that could vaporize matter. He also used this opportunity to share his ideas on wireless transmission of voice and even pictures. At the end of the demonstration, he announced that he had only revealed one-third of his inventions. After the lecture, the famous physicist Lord Raleigh praised Tesla's gift of discovery and urged him to focus upon one big idea. Lord Raleigh's comments made a great impression and awoke a new sense of destiny in Tesla. He knew at that moment that he would have to surpass his earlier discoveries. It seemed a hopeless undertaking, he later recalled, but I made up my mind to try it. Returning from Europe in the last week of August 1892, Tesla began in earnest to develop the means to transfer electricity and even information wirelessly on a large scale. He continued to present his inventions to audiences all across America. As his demonstrations became more grandiose, so did his predictions. From the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia to the World's Fair in Chicago's White Park, Tesla proclaimed that it was possible to transmit information, even power, instantaneously across great distance without the need for connecting wires. As his elaborate performances with wireless proved, Tesla was in 1892 well on his way to making his predictions reality.
before he could fulfill his vision of a wireless future, he was swept up in another grand industrial venture. As a boy, Tesla had seen a photograph of Niagara Falls. He was mesmerized by the immense power of its current and told his uncle that one day he would move to America and harness the fall's untapped potential. Thirty years later, his dream was about to become reality. The first plan to exploit Niagara was proposed in 1886. It envisioned the creation of an intricate network of canals and tunnels designed to harness the current with over 200 water wheels. The cost was calculated at over $10 million. In order to find a more feasible solution, the Cataract Construction Company sought out counsel from notable inventors and engineers. Thomas Edison proposed a plan to send DC power from the falls 20 miles away to Buffalo. At the time, DC power could barely travel two miles before losing its potency. The feasibility of the Edison scheme was doubted by most engineers, including many on the payroll of the Edison Electric Company. To attract global attention for the project, Edward Dean Adams, president of the Cataract Construction Company, formed the International Niagara Commission in London. The commission was responsible for overseeing a contest similar to the modern-day X-Prize. A reward of $20,000 was offered to whomever presented the best proposal. Westinghouse, owner of the Tesla AC patents, declined to compete, stating that the $20,000 prize did not merit the $100,000 worth of advice. When they're ready to do business, we will submit a plan and bid for the work, Westinghouse said. Of the 20 submissions received, only two were found to be viable, both of which used a variation of Tesla's AC system. The prize, however, was not awarded as neither of the contestants had the ability to implement the system. Adams now knew his only hope for coaxing Niagara into an honest day's work was with Westinghouse. He still needed more information before design could be finalized, so he sought out Tesla himself at his laboratory in New York City. Tesla advised using a polyphase AC system for generating and distributing power from Niagara Falls. A major benefit of this system, Tesla told Adams, was that Westinghouse had designed incandescent bulbs that were compatible with polyphase AC. Adams was sold, and in May, a deal was signed with Westinghouse Corp. for the construction of an alternating current hydroelectric power plant at the falls. As work got underway on what was heralded as the largest electrical enterprise in the world, the man who had made it all possible, Nikola Tesla, already a legend within the scientific community, quickly became an international icon. With his newfound celebrity, Tesla attracted the attention of investors like never before. The first in line was Edward Adams himself, who, with the Niagara project underway, was free to turn his attention elsewhere. For $100,000, Adams received a controlling interest in the newly formed Nikola Tesla company. Tesla would use this investment to develop and refine his mechanical and electrical oscillators, as well as wireless lighting. There were two obstacles, however, that complicated his research. The first was the result of his newfound celebrity. Now that the near sorcery of his inventive genius had been revealed to the world, the press relentlessly tried to pry away Tesla's curtain of secrecy. 
he was torn over how to deal with this new interest. On the one hand, he wanted to disclose his creations for publicity and historical reasons. On the other hand, the need to protect against piracy was never greater, as the eyes of the world were now looking to him, many of which hoped for the opportunity to siphon off a portion of his new fame. Even Tesla's employees were unaware of the details of his plan to wirelessly transmit information or power. The balance between privacy and publicity became a delicate line to balance and certainly slowed the development process. The second obstacle almost derailed Tesla's entire career. On the morning of March 13, 1895, a fire started in the basement of the South Fifth Avenue building which Tesla occupied. The inferno became so hot that the laboratory on the fourth floor collapsed through the third floor and into the second. The loss of his equipment and ongoing projects was a setback. The loss of his notes and papers was nearly catastrophic. It would take Tesla two years to recover his research and get the development of wireless power distribution back on track. By the completion of the Niagara Project in 1898, he had succeeded in recovering much of his lost research. In January of that year, Tesla was invited to speak at a ceremony in Buffalo celebrating the inauguration of the power plant. Many of the project's financial backers were in attendance, including John J. Astor and J. Pierpont Morgan. In his speech, Tesla honored the scientists and businessmen who had made the project possible. He said that the harnessing of Niagara was a true moment of enlightenment and peace. Though he acknowledged the significance of the accomplishment, Tesla was already looking far beyond the achievement at Niagara. Now that he had recovered his research, he was ready to unveil a bold new vision, one that would dwarf both the scope and the importance of the Niagara project. He was cut short, however, by the master of ceremonies, Francis Stetson, who informed Tesla that his train had arrived. Stetson was a trusted Morgan employee who had likely read Tesla's speech and prearranged for the hastening of Tesla's departure before the delivery of his new vision. Instead, the final paragraphs of his Buffalo remarks would be published in the professional electrical journals, where they were far out of the public eye. We shall not satisfy ourselves simply with improving present-day methods. We have a greater task to fulfill, to evolve means for obtaining energy from stores which are forever inexhaustible, to perfect methods which do not imply consumption and waste of any material whatever. I have examined for a long time the possibilities of operating engines on any point of the earth by the energy of the medium, and am glad to say that I have devised means which has given me fresh hope that I shall see the fulfillment of one of my fondest dreams, namely, the transmission of power from station to station without the employment of any connecting wire. Tesla had effectively stated that the entire enterprise at Niagara was obsolete before it had generated its first watt of electricity. In fact, he was proclaiming that the entire scheme of electrical power that we still use to this day was outdated in 1897. There was no need, he claimed, for the enormous industrial development that went into the construction of our modern-day power grid. No need for the construction of telephone poles. 
No need for the mining and processing of copper and other metals into lines, transformers, and girders. No need for the development and production of millions of miles of rubber insulation. No need for the enormous acreage devoted to powering and supporting the electrical grid. No need for the countless man and equipment hours expended in the installation of the facilities and lines used to transmit power. Tesla had a better plan. Back in New York, Tesla continued to refine his wireless research. By the end of 1898, he had succeeded in producing electrical discharges of 4 million volts. In order to continue his investigations, he needed to free himself from the constraints of his metropolitan laboratory. After finding a suitable location in Colorado Springs, Tesla sought another benefactor to finance his research. He hoped to rekindle the interest of one of the world's wealthiest men, John Jacob Astor. Tesla had befriended John and Ava Astor early in 1898. He had demonstrated one of his newest inventions for the mobile, something he called teleautomation. Tesla's teleautomation was a system capable of remotely controlling whatever device in which it was installed. His original teleautomaton was a remote-controlled robotic toy boat unveiled in Madison Square Gardens. This technology was so far ahead of its time that when Tesla applied for a patent on his device, the chief of patents in Washington, D.C. requested a demonstration because the claim was so unbelievable. With the outbreak of the Spanish-American War in Cuba, Tesla installed his teleautomaton in a small torpedo boat which he attempted to sell to the Navy for use in the war. Colonel Astor, aboard his monstrous yacht the Norma Hall, went to Cuba to aid the military in the effort against the Spanish. He encouraged Tesla to join him and bring his teleautomaton for demonstration. Tesla declined to join, saying that he had been called for a higher duty. When Astor returned to the States in August of 1898, Tesla was concerned that he had burned a bridge with his potential investor. He visited the colonel at his home in New York to explain his reluctance to join the expedition to Cuba. Astor, however, assured Tesla that he understood the inventor's position, stating that, During the gunfire, I realized that your life was too precious to risk on such a trip. By January, Astor had agreed to invest $100,000 in the Tesla Electric Company. Tesla was to use the money to begin production of his wireless and fluorescent lighting, as well as his mechanical and electrical oscillators. Always a step ahead, Tesla had instead formulated a plan to surpass his previous inventions and headed to Colorado to test his theories. Tesla had scouted the country looking for a site suitable for constructing his new secret laboratory. Eventually, he settled on Colorado Springs. The town was situated on a plain stretching hundreds of miles at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. The area was known for its severe electrical storms. Both its location and the storms were critical to Tesla's experiments. He hoped that the wide open space would allow him to better monitor his transmission and receiving experiments. He also hoped to track the massive electrical storms that frequently descended from the mountains. With his funding secured and his location selected, 
Tesla set out to begin construction of his specialized research center. The station was a 60-foot barn housing a high-frequency transformer and a huge 45-foot diameter Tesla coil. The barn was topped with a 200-foot-tall bulbous structure that could be adjusted to varying heights. The station was designed to allow Tesla to experiment with his theories of wireless transmission on a large scale. Having already demonstrated the possibility of wireless transmission, he now undertook to demonstrate that it could be scaled. The primary reason for the Colorado station was to produce a resonant transformer that could harness the Earth's geomagnetic pulse as a carrier wave to transmit information wirelessly from one point to any other point on the planet. He also experimented with the idea of transmitting signals through the ionosphere. In his first test, he wired a balloon with a receiver and a transmitter into the station and sent it two miles into the sky. The idea was to set up stations in this manner across the globe to send and receive messages. The balloons proved impractical and the idea was abandoned. Wireless telephones were also experimented with, although it is not known whether they worked. He claimed to have already worked out the problems and to have filed patents covering preliminary designs. His assertion that he intercepted a message from Mars is unsurprising given the climate of his day. The notion that Mars was home to an intelligence at least as advanced as Earth's was a popular theory at the time. Tesla also could not believe that there was anyone else on the planet that had transmitters as powerful as his own. When asked whether he was concerned about the progress of his competitors, Tesla responded confidently, Do not worry about me. I'm about a century ahead of the other fellows. However, a more likely explanation for Tesla's mysterious message exists. The Italian inventor, Guglielmo Marconi, was conducting his own long-range communications test in Europe. Marconi was working with the British Admiralty and the French Navy to send messages hundreds of miles across the English Channel. For the tests, he used the Morse code letter S as his transmission signal, which consists of three dots, exactly the same as heard by Tesla. On July 28th at 8 a.m. London time, Marconi was conducting tests between ships in mock battle maneuvers. This was the very day it is thought that Tesla picked up the signal from Mars. So if Tesla was listening, at 12 midnight Colorado time, he may have been able to pick up Marconi's signal. Ironically, Tesla was right about the preeminence of his equipment. Marconi was using oscillators that he had pirated from Tesla in his own test. When Tesla returned to New York in 1900, he attempted to reconnect with Astor. For eight months, he reached out to no avail. In August, Tesla wrote to Astor, explaining that properly marketed, his inventions could yield returns in excess of $50 million, an enormous sum in 1900. When Astor finally replied, he stated that he was glad to hear from the inventor and that he would get back to him concerning further investment. Astor never did. Although Astor never said anything, it is likely that he was angry with Tesla that he had used his investment to experiment in Colorado instead of manufacturing and marketing the completed inventions as agreed upon. Having fallen out of favor with his investor, Tesla was compelled to find another benefactor. He decided on Wall Street financier J.P. Morgan and requested an audience. At the meeting, 
he told Morgan that he had perfected an apparatus which permitted the transmission of messages to any distance without wires, making long and expensive cables commercially obsolete. With this machine, Tesla claimed that he could produce and distribute electricity and information wirelessly to any point around the world. Morgan was enticed by the possibility of receiving stock prices wirelessly anywhere he went, as well as the ability to direct ships safely through fog. He pushed Tesla to give him an estimate of the project's cost. Cautiously, Tesla replied that $100,000 would suffice for the construction of a 90-foot-high transatlantic transmitter. As Morgan considered the inventor's proposition, he asked why he should not back Marconi's far cheaper project. While Tesla had been experimenting in Colorado, Marconi had been gaining traction marketing his radio transmission equipment. Marconi was a sore subject for Tesla. The young Italian had been bootstrapping his success on Tesla's inventions for years. Tesla was persistently infuriated by Marconi's piracy and patent infringement, a claim that Tesla successfully prosecuted years later. Being compared to Marconi angered Tesla so much that he nearly excused himself from the meeting. Morgan, however, assured him that he was interested in doing business. Unoptimistic about Tesla's cost estimate, Morgan offered $150,000, roughly $4.3 million in today's money. Tesla was shocked. Morgan had given him everything he had wanted and more. The original agreement had been for a 50-50 split of the stock, but Tesla, flabbergasted by Morgan's offer, submitted that the split should be 49-51, with Morgan taking the controlling interest. By 1901, Tesla had obtained his first funds and found a site to begin construction. Wardenclyffe Tower, as Tesla's transmitting tower was called, was to be built in Shoreham, New York. Tesla's ultimate plan was to construct a world telegraphy center that would eventually house a laboratory, wireless transmitter, production facilities, as well as the creation of a surrounding metropolis. Wardenclyffe would be the only city of its kind in the world. To begin with, Tesla needed to prove the ability of his so-called magnifying transmitter, and fast because Marconi and co. were catching up. Refusing to be outdone, Tesla abandoned his plan to build a modest 90-foot tower for a skyscraping 600-foot-tall transmitter. He decided that he would crush the parasite Marconi once and for all. According to Tesla, this new design would allow for the wireless distribution of images, information, electricity, and power to any point on the globe. When completed, Wardenclyffe Tower would have been the crown jewel of all of Tesla's creations. A global telecommunications enterprise capable of producing greater results than the combined forces of today's radio, television, telephone, and power systems. He imagined small handheld devices that would be used to send and receive messages and information through the transmitting tower. He even envisioned the production of rain in the deserts, lighting of the skies above shipping lanes, wirelessly powering vehicles and planes, and an interplanetary communication system. Confident in his own ascendancy, 
Tesla altered the terms of the contract without first consulting his financial partner. He only spoke to Morgan about the new design after depleting all of his funding. When Tesla approached Morgan for an additional investment, the financier was unimpressed by the grand vision and chased the inventor out of his office. Tesla was determined to see his vision to fruition despite the falling out with Morgan. He was forced to scale back the height of the tower to accommodate his diminished budget. By September, Wardenclyffe Tower had reached its full elevation of 180 feet. However, rapid inflation due to the financial panic of 1901 was increasing construction and material costs. The expanded project quickly exhausted all of Tesla's funds. He tried to keep the project moving by selling a portion of the Wardenclyffe property for $35,000. Even that, however, was not enough to stay afloat. With the dome yet to be completed, Tesla was forced to halt construction. Unwilling to give up, he began to manufacture his oscillators in order to raise funds to continue the tower. Revenues began to trickle in and soon he had saved enough to finish the transmission cupola. However, the success was short-lived. By July, the project was again halted due to financial difficulty. The equipment needed to bring the tower online was purchased on credit from various sources, including the Westinghouse Corporation. Tesla's financial woes had caused him to miss payments, and the materials were set to be repossessed. He could not allow the project to be torn apart without ever being tested. Just days before the equipment was removed, Tesla spliced the tower into the Long Island electrical grid. The tower compressed and electrified the air in a shaft that went deep underground. Once the pressure had built to its maximum, it was sent up the tower to the transmitter housed in the cupola. A dull thunder rumbled from the site as the electrical sorcerer charged his revolutionary edifice. The world would soon see his visionary genius and Morgan would be forced to reconsider. And if not, other investors would recognize the value in Tesla's vision. When Wardenclyffe was fully charged, the cupola at the top of the tower exploded with electricity. It was seen all the way across Long Island Sound in Connecticut. Years later, conspiracy theories surfaced that the test at Wardenclyffe had actually been of a top-secret military superweapon possibly Tesla's rumored particle beam weapon. Whether the experiment was a success is unknown. Morgan did not change his mind, and no other investors appeared. By the end of July, Wardenclyffe Tower fell silent for the last time. Over the next eight years, Tesla tried without success to rebuild his relationship with J.P. Morgan. When it became fully clear that there was no future business to be had, Tesla began to look for other sources of funding. At first, he attempted to bring on another investor. However, under the terms of his arrangement with Morgan, the financier owned the controlling interest in the Wardenclyffe project. Tesla was forced to beg Morgan to allow other investors into the company. While Morgan promised he would consider anyone the inventor wanted to bring on, he declined every potential investor brought to the table. Unknown to Tesla, 
Morgan was deeply involved in creating a potentially lucrative conglomeration of companies, all focused on constructing a wired electrical grid. Tesla's wireless enterprise clearly threatened the deal that Morgan and other international power brokers were forming. It's not a stretch to assume that because of this, Morgan used his controlling interest in Wardenclyffe to permanently scuttle the creation of Tesla's wireless transmitter. With the possibility of bringing on another investor no longer viable, Tesla decided his next best option was to generate the funds himself. He now turned his full attention to the research and development of a number of ideas he had been contemplating. During this time, he designed lighter-than-air ships operated by remote control, hovercraft and reactive jet dirigibles, and a helicopter airplane, which he called the Fliver Plane. Hoping to generate funding for Wardenclyffe, Tesla formed a number of startups to market some of his latest creations. The Tesla Propulsion Company, the Tesla Ozone Company, and the Tesla Electrotherapeutic Company were all launched in 1909. In November of 1910, with his newfound tidal wave of momentum, Tesla moved his headquarters to the prestigious 48-story Metropolitan Towers. At the time, the tallest building in the world, located at 1 Madison Avenue. With an office suite on the 20th floor, Tesla planned his next move in his quest to resurrect his world telegraphy center. In this endeavor, Tesla made some minor progress, but was never able to fully resurrect the wireless tower. From 1917 until 1926, Tesla spent most of his time outside of New York City working with various companies to sell his inventions. From 1917 to 1918, he was in Chicago with Pyle National, developing a bladeless turbine. He continued this work until 1920 with Alice Commerce in Milwaukee. The next year, he moved to Boston, where he developed a speedometer and a tachometer for the Waltham Watch Company. He moved again in 1925, this time to Philadelphia to work on a gas turbine at Bud Manufacturing. During these years of travel, Tesla lost control of Wardenclyffe. He was forced to transfer the property to the Waldorf Astoria as collateral against his $20,000 of unpaid rent, which he had accumulated over his years of living at the hotel. To cover Tesla's debts, the hotel disassembled the tower and sold the equipment and the property. After working tirelessly for nearly 30 years to establish Wardenclyffe, Tesla was forced to abandon the project for good. In his later years, Tesla's pursuits became increasingly radical. He talked of developing a machine for harnessing cosmic rays, which are showers of high-energy protons and atomic nuclei. These showers were a newly discovered phenomena in Tesla's time, and their origin is still mysterious today. Only recently was evidence found that possibly links a percentage of these rays to the distant supernova explosions of dying stars. Tesla also worked on a means for transmitting mechanical energy, which is the combined power of the potential and kinetic energy of an object. He also claimed to have developed a particle beam weapon, as well as a way to communicate across millions of miles of space to other planets. Despite these forward-looking and ambitious projects, Tesla was haunted by the past. To the end of his days, Tesla spoke of relaunching his great edifice 
at Wardenclyffe. On Tesla's 75th birthday, Albert Einstein wrote The Aging Inventor. I'm happy to hear that you are celebrating your 75th birthday, Einstein said, and that, as a successful pioneer in the field of high-frequency currents, you have been able to witness the wonderful development of this field of technology. For the next 11 years, Tesla would continue to live a double life. One as the famed inventor who brought light to the world by harnessing alternating current. Another as a mad scientist whose inventions could dominate the earth and beyond. Despite some of his more radical claims, like his claim that he constructed a working death ray, many took Tesla seriously given his astonishing record. After his death on January 7, 1943, the FBI seized much of Tesla's research and writings, including the contents of his two secret laboratories in New York City. These writings were not declassified until 2016, 73 years after their confiscation. In that time, the image of Tesla transformed from that of a celebrated pioneer in the field of electricity to a prophetic genius whose vision of the future has yet to be fulfilled. Conspiracy theories abound around the inventor and his creations, many of which have never been seen in action. However, underneath all of the controversy is a man who revolutionized scientific thought and whose inventions forever changed our world and very way of life. Though his memory has faded and his achievements practically unknown, Every building on earth with electricity flowing through its walls pays homage to the great Serbian scientist, Nikola Tesla.